Two weeks ago, uh, and this is our second week of the new year, but the last week of last year, I started a series to talk about how to enter the new year, and I called it Begin Again. And then last week, we did part two of that, or Begin Again Again. And then today, we're going to do part three. So I guess in keeping with that, Begin Again Again Again. And then next week, I'm going to start into a new series called Home. Everybody say Home. And this is going to help you so much. I'm telling you, I'm getting blessed. This will empower you and give you some good perspective on this whole world and political systems and everything else. When you realize uh, this is not my home, uh, we're here and we have a mission, but we have our citizenship in heaven. And uh, the scripture has much to say to help us have a good, clear perspective. How do we participate? How do we keep our peace? How do we... Uh, how do we make this work while we're here and then keeping our eyes on heaven and also uh, helping to prepare the way for others to go to heaven as well. So I'm very excited about that. We'll be sharing that uh, next week. So if we're going to have a new year, how, how many of you would like a better one than last one? Okay. Let me do that again because I know some of you were thinking about that. If you wanted, if you wanted better or not, how many of you would like better this year? Okay, good deal. Well, that's not just going to happen. There's some things that we need to be intentional about. We're going to look at, continue to look at a few of these things. The last two weeks, I spent on the whole concept of through faith, a brand of faith that will get you through. Very vital that you have that. If you did not already hear those messages, go back and, and look at those things. Uh, be well worth your while. But when we begin again, anything that is potentially beneficial, uh, potentially powerful, anything that potentially has risk involved in it, it's good to kind of uh, recheck things, get refreshed, get reminded. Are there any updates, uh, warnings? You know, a, a pilot before he takes off, he has a, a checklist that he needs to go through. Uh, there are people before surgery, they're going to make sure everything's in place and uh, that we do have the right patient, you know, in the room for this. And, uh, you know, checklists are kind of important. And we're actually going to have a checklist today to help you to, to begin again. Now, normally, when I, when I teach, I'll give you one or two points. I'll just give you one or two points. And that's why I end up in series so much is because there are more points. But we're only going to do one or two, typically, for a number of reasons. And I want to make sure that you, you get this. First of all, there are two goals when we teach. And the first is that you would get... Understanding. Everybody say understand. We want you to get understanding and you need understanding so that the second thing can happen. And that is this application. Everybody say application. So understanding is, is just vital here. Um, what you understand. And, you know, as I look at this, I, I kind of see where I went south in algebra. Because I was getting the information, you know, copy this down and, you know, read this and go over this and work it out. But you can get the information, but if you don't have understanding, um, you'll never have knowledge. And then if you don't have knowledge, then you're really not going to know what to do. And all of this involves, is involved together. But when you understand something, it can't be taken away from you. Understanding is the handle on truth so that you can get it, you can keep it, you can use it, you can share it. 
uh, it's very important. Other than that, you, you don't have a handle on it. And that's why come test time with algebra, I didn't have a handle on it. You know, so I, sometimes I just write down other stuff I'd memorized. And the teacher said, that's very good, but that has no application here. Okay. So it's important that we get understanding. So I teach, I really don't preach. Preaching is just loud teaching. No, not really, but, um, Sometimes I'll, I'll crank it up a little bit, but my goal is, very intentionally, is that we understand, that you can leave here understanding something, uh, so that then you can apply it. And application is the proof of learning. And if, if we know because we understand and then we're able to apply it, then guess what? Now we can move from just being a hearer and we can be, as James says, a doer. And once you become a doer, guess what? You enter the realm of blessing. James talks about that don't be just a hearer, but be a doer because the doer is the one that gets blessed. And if we're going to have a better year or anything to work for us, we're going to have to not just be a hearer, but be a doer. So we're going to have to have understanding so that we can have application. Are, are, you, are you with me so far? So like I said, I, I normally will give you one or two points because I give you, if, if you get more than one or two points, follow me on this, then that's what's called a list. And guess where lists go? On paper. But one or two truths or points, you know what they'll do? They'll penetrate your heart. They'll penetrate your mind. And they'll impact your life. And and it will produce life change for you. So that's typically why I do that. But today, I'm going to give you eight points. So I need your help. They're all going to start with C. So that's going to be easy to remember. So we're going to get high doses of vitamin C today, okay? It'd be good for you. Um, All of the, this is not an exhaustive list. We could go, there are many, many other things. Uh, And I could do a series. Actually, I've done series on probably all of these multiple times. But what are we doing? We're beginning again. We've got to come back and look at these things and almost in the form of a checklist, come back and make sure that we have these things in our life. So I'm going to need your help that you're going to commit. Listen to me, church, that you're going to commit that today you won't allow this to just be a list. Okay. That we're going to do the extra effort. Y'all with me? We're going to do the extra effort. Yeah. Hey, come on y'all. It's, it's Super Bowl season. Okay. So it's extra effort. How many of you know there are a lot of teams wishing they'd made a little more effort? Oh, we could have had them. We could have won that game. We could have beat them. I could have caught that pass. You know, let's put out the extra effort today. Will you? So we're not going to make this just a list. Raise your right hand. Say, I promise. All right. You're on video too. We got you. All right. Good deal. So let's go ahead and start here. And uh, some of you are looking at me like, he ain't going to get eight points out. I know him. Oh, thou of doubt and unbelief. Watch. I, I just did it first service. We're going to do it again here too. So first of all, the first C on our checklist, confess, confess. And what we confess is sin, sin. Listen to me. Sin is the problem. And sin corrupts and it's poison and it damages anything that it's a a part of. And so we need to confess sin out of our life because listen to me and I'll read this in a moment here. Sin is heavy and conviction is heavy. Let's read this in Psalm 32. Everybody with me? Say something. All right. Psalm 32 verse 3 through 5 in the New Living. It says, when I refused to confess my sin, 
My body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat, interlude or Selah. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. Watch this. And you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. That's awesome. But it happens when we confess, when we confess. And to confess really means to admit it, to, to open up, to admit it. And we need to not hide sin because sin is the problem. Sin is heavy. But let me tell you what else is heavy. God's conviction is heavy. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life, God's hand will be on you. And you're wondering why you don't have full peace and you don't have full joy. And it's because you won't just admit it and have him help you to quit it. Okay? To get these things out of, out of your life. And so not only is the sin heavy, but... The hand of God, the conviction of God that will be on you is also heavy. In 1 John chapter 1, and boy, you need this passage here. We'll start in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess, there it is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin and or but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation. He's the satisfaction of the debt for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Somebody say hallelujah on that one. Okay. We should have had some organ music cranking during that. Y'all realize that we can be forgiven and cleansed of our sin and unrighteousness. That's really good news. But you got to get it started. And the way you get started is you confess it. You admit it to God. You admit it to God. You get it started though. He's done the work. Verse 7 of that passage says, and it's the blood of Christ Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. It's the blood of Jesus. But what you have to do is not, not hide your sin, not refuse to confess it, but confess it to admit it to God. Einstein said this, nothing happens till something moves. And that's very spiritual too. You know, get it moving by confessing it to God and he will forgive you. He will cleanse you. Keep short accounts with God. And Psalm 51, you may want to highlight Psalm 51 and go look at that. Part of, the, part of what happens too when we confess our sin, not only are you forgiven and cleansed, but the joy, I love this, the joy of salvation gets restored into your life. So this needs to be a daily big part of our life uh, on our checklist here. The second thing, is this cast cast what do you think we cast cares cares let's look here cares are heavy how many of you know cares are heavy look at me for a moment you you're not designed to carry cares you're not equipped to carry cares and let me give you one other one and you're not yourself when you carry cares You're not yourself. You don't have your joy. You don't have your peace. You don't have creativity. You don't have patience. You're irritable. You get angry quick. Let me remind you that anger is a secondary emotion. You're not just angry. There's a reason you're angry. I was in traffic the other day and I saw a guy just coming undone. He was in the phone, uh, uh, in his car on the phone by himself. Windows are rolled up. I don't know what he was saying, but he was mad at whoever he was talking with. 
And it wasn't just that, you know, and, and yeah, things can, but how many of you know that when you're carrying something, cares, burdens, worries, you get angry quicker. It's almost like, no, I can't carry that. Can't you see I'm already carrying all this? And so we need to do what with these cares? We need to cast them. Let's, let's read scripture on this. In uh, Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on your wife. Sorry, it was a misread. <laughs> Cast your burden, help me. On the Lord. Now, can I tell you something? It's not a burden for him. He's a story again, you know, my children bring me a jar of pickles, jar of peanut butter or whatever. Daddy, could you get this? Why? Because they couldn't. Made it what? Burden. But if I could get it, it's no burden. There's no burden. If I can't get it, I go, take it to your mother. No. Uh, um, carrying something. If it's a burden for you and somebody has the strength to carry, it's not a burden. You take it to the Lord, it's no longer a burden. Are you with me? So cast your burden on the Lord and watch this. And he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved or in the Hebrew to be shaken. First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament words for cast have to do with this idea to throw, to hurl away, to release the weight of it. And so what you need to do is you need to get before God. Do you know what really what prayer is, is a transfer of burden, a transfer of stress. You need to get before God. I don't know how all this works. I really don't, but it works. And you're able to get before God and say, Father, this is heavy. I realize I'm carrying this. And I I roll the weight of this over onto you. I trust you. I cast my cares over onto you. I let it go. And you're going to have to let it go into the hands of a mighty God who it is not a burden for him. So cast. Amen? Thirdly, you still with me? Do I need to slow down? We're on number three already. Call. Call. This is another word for pray or prayer. E.M. Bounds, who has written volumes and volumes on prayer, says this. And this is figurative now. He says, prayer kills Satan. Prayerlessness kills you. Prayer kills Satan. Prayerlessness kills you. Oh, what grief we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. In Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Listen to those verses in the Message Bible. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And that's what happens with prayer. We, we saw on Wednesday night in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Technically, that's not possible for us to pray without ceasing. What it is saying to us is this, though. Don't ever be prayerless. 
Don't ever be prayerless. And as we've seen also in recent uh, uh, Wednesday night services, two things about prayer. Be proactive in prayer. Everybody say proactive. What does that mean? It means get ahead of it all. Get ahead of it all. I think there's so many things that could be thwarted, could be averted if we would be praying and get the help of heaven on a situation. But we have not because we ask not so often. And so get proactive. The other thing is be reactive in prayer. As things arise, pray about them. Don't just get upset about them. Don't just carry those things, but pray. Proactive, reactive, take those things to God in prayer. Amen? Number four, choices. Say choices. Life is composed of choices. Life is composed of choices. Everything is because you decided. You decided what you were wearing today. No, my wife laid it out for me. Well, you chose her. It goes on and on. But everything is choices, seriously. And so really what I'm talking about here is wisdom. Wisdom. Because wisdom is what helps us to make the right choices. Let me give you a broken down uh, southern definition of wisdom. It works though. Don't do dumb things. With a little accent, tell your neighbor, don't do dumb things. All right. There's more to it than that, but really wisdom comes into our choices here. Wisdom or lack of it affects everything in life. Every area of life is affected by wisdom. How many of you, be honest, have done some dumb things before, okay? And it affects everything. It affects your marriage. It affects uh, your family. Uh, other relationships, your finances, your health, your peace of mind, your workplace, your business, whatever it would be, wisdom has, wisdom or the lack of it's going to affect everything. The Bible tells us in Ephesians five seventeen. therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It gives us a definition. Wisdom or to be wise is to know what God wants for you. It's to, it's to know what the will of the Lord is. In Proverbs 4, it says that getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. It's the principal thing. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. We get wisdom in a number of ways. Ask for it. Get it from God's mouth or from his word, Proverbs 2. Learn from everything. How many of you know you can learn by watching other people? You can learn things what to do by watching other people. Guess what else you can learn? What not to do. And you just say, thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, we've got to get wisdom on this. And another way that we get wisdom, hang out with the wise. If anybody seems to have some godly wisdom in their life, you need to s- spend some time with them. And that takes us to our next point here, number five, which is this, companions. Everybody say companions. This is super important right here. Super important, major impact. First uh, Corinthians 15, 33 said this, bad company corrupts good character. Read that with me if you would. Bad company corrupts good character. And notice this, Proverbs 13, verse 20. There's a promise and a warning here. He who walks with wise men will be but the companion of fools will be destroyed. That's the fool's reward proverb talks about. You walk with wise people, you're going to be wise. You hang out with fools, you're going to get their reward, which is destruction. And let me say, this is for you. This is for all of us. You need, listen to me. 
you need to be careful who you hang out with. Now, I do not espouse an isolationist Christianity that we're just around people that are holy like me because then, then, you, then you're weirded out. <laughs> and we're not going to move to the hills and just be us and grow our own green beans and make our own crayons. You know, it's not, we're, we're not going to withdraw from the world. Are you all with me? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're to be salt and we're to be light. And we're also to be what? We're to be sugar too. Christian people should be nice people. And so, but you have to monitor who's influencing who. And if there are people in your life that are influencing you in the wrong way, you're going to need to monitor that and make sure that you're hanging out with wise people. And let me go ahead and say this too. You need to know who your kids hang out with. I want to say it again. You need to know who your kids hang out with. You do. Um, A lot of trouble that I got into was who I hung out with. Even if I was the instigator. If I hung out with wise people, they go, we ain't doing that. It's stupid. What's wrong with you? I know. But then there were others who go, okay, let's do that. You know, it all has to do with who you're hanging out with. And I want to know who my kids are hanging out with. And it has a huge, huge impact on our lives. Amen? Amen. And let me just add this one in. And if you're the smartest one in your group, it's time to get a what? A new group. Now, that doesn't mean you just cut people off unless they're toxic and, and dangerous in your life. But sometimes there's some moving around of folks. You know, even the president's cabinet gets moved around. And we're, and we're praying that he'll get wise people so he'll find and do the will of God. Amen. Let's keep on going here. Number six, contentment. Contentment. Everybody say contentment. This is huge as well. This is actually more of a goal than happiness. And this is something you can learn to do. In uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. Look at that. I've learned how to be content. I learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it was with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Discontent is super, super dangerous. It's it's being used on you constantly and in our culture more than any culture on the planet. It is the tool, whether people know it or not, that's being used to sell you stuff. To make you feel discontent about what you have. You get the smartphone and they come out with a newer one. And you still hadn't mastered this one. You still hadn't mastered your VCR with the time blinking it. Okay. And it works great. And it looks fine, and there's still much to be discovered, but I gotta have the new one. I gotta have the new one. Made to feel discontent. And this is the, one of the oldest tricks in the book because back in the garden, Adam and Eve lived in paradise. It was perfect. They lacked for nothing, they had everything. And the serpent came, and here's the lie, and you have to tell a lie for this to work. Told them the lie that Eve, who had everything, somehow maybe didn't have everything. 
He had to seed within her discontent. And discontentment always leads to sin if you don't get rid of it. And so he fooled her by lying that God's holding out on you and you don't have everything. And that discontentment led to her sin. Here's some things about discontent. It will ruin what you have while you try to get what you think you want and need. And I won't meddle right here, but that's why a lot of marriages have gotten broken up. Here's something else discontentment will do. It will cause you to complain, which is always rooted in ingratitude and fear. Discontentment comes by way of comparison. I've shared with you before, you work real hard, you know, spring cleaning, getting everything clean, pressure wash, plant some new new little uh, plants and flowers, and you got all that going on, and everything looks good, your deck, your new flowers, your garden and everything, and you sit down with, with a lemonade or some sweet tea and open up a magazine, but the magazine is called Better Homes and Gardens. And suddenly you feel like, I don't even know why I try. (laughs) Discontent comes by way of comparison. You were fine till you saw somebody else had something else. And discontent is an attitude of never enough, never enough. And it leads to sin. Guard yourself against discontentment. Contentment, however, is an attitude of trust. It's an attitude of trust in God. It counts no blessing as small. It's aware that this is all a process. This is all temporary. And it, and it has an inward sufficiency that is not dependent on things and not dependent on circumstances because it knows that God is my source. So if I have a little or a lot, or it's tough right now or it's going great right now, I can be content. You and I need to learn to be content in whatever it is because God is my source and he won't leave me and he will take care of me. And all of this is a process. All of this is temporary. And listen... And sometimes all of this is just a test. Pass the test. Because if you don't pass it, guess what? Summer school. You will see it again and again. Let's pass the test. And so contentment is huge in our lives. Now we're going to teach you a little bit of Greek here. Charis. Everybody say charis. You charis. It means gratitude, gratitude. You need to be grateful. I said, you need to be grateful. Oh, but pastor this and this and this. No, 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 no. You need to be grateful. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God has been so good to you. And until you get that revelation in your life, And stop rehearsing all the brokenness and all the bad part of the story and all the this and all the that. And until you can get centered down into this, God has been so good to me. I want you to just go ahead and say that. God has been so good to me. And what do you do with that? You've got to be grateful. You've got to be grateful and declare that back to God. I think it's inappropriate. I think it's rude to even talk to God without without at first thanking him for at least three things. Oh, I don't know if I can come up with three things I'm thankful for. Oh, really? You're breathing, thinking, talking, blinking your eyes, fully dressed, standing upright, made it somewhere. You, you have plenty, 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 plenty. God has been so good to us. We need to thank him. The Bible says it is good, Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Uh, Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Everybody say the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips means this. We say something. Get this principle. Don't just think your thanks. Because if you just have a thankful thought, it's going to get lost in the mess with all the other stuff that's in there. You need to bring it up through yourself and And don't just think your thanks, but speak your thanks. And say to God and say to other people, thank you, thank you, thank you. You need to have charis in your life. You need to have gratitude as a part of your life. And let me tell you that if you don't get this one going in your life, these are going to fall like a house of cards. They won't stay in your life. But if you're centered up on this, you know who your source is. And let me say this, that ingratitude is the last step before rebellion. Ingratitude is the last step before rebellion. I wish I had a lot of time on this, but I don't. Romans chapter 1, you can read this. The ingratitude is, is the last step before rebellion. And it goes on and says this. It says this. That although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Watch this. Nor were thankful. And their foolish hearts became dark, darkened. And they thought that they were wise and instead they were fools. Listen to me. This and what happens following this, it shows about 28 28, uh, different things that happen in the moral slide that takes place once you stop thanking God. Ingratitude is the last step before rebellion. It fully explains what's going on in our world. It fully explains what's happening in our, in our culture, in our, in our politics, in our media, everything else. And it says that they, they pushed away and don't even want the knowledge of God anymore. Which means, please don't put a nativity scene out where everybody can see it. Because those are so scary, you know. But what it is, is I, I don't want to be reminded of God. Don't want to be reminded of God. That's why we've got to be careful and, and mindful about our, our next generation. Because I'm telling you, it's never been so strategic to, to stop the next generation from acknowledging God. And then just to blend him in with everything else. And I'm going to tell you something. There's one God. He is Jehovah God, and there's one Savior for this world, and he is Jesus Christ. And they need to know that. But there won't be fire in your belly. There won't be light in your eyes if you're not grateful to God, grateful to God, grateful to God. Because then you'll start to slide too. You'll think you're so smart and can explain things away. Your minds become darkened. You think you're wise, but you become a fool. All because we failed to give thanks to God. This one is huge. Put a star by that one. And then one more. One more. You didn't think I could do it. Church. Everybody say church. Church is God's plan A. It's a hope for the world. And I believe it with all my heart. And we're, we're more committed to it as, as staff and leadership of this church than ever before. We're leaning into this like never before to make sure that at least on our end it happens. Church days affect the rest of your days. So let me just tell you, get yourself in church and keep yourself in church. Because there will be constant, constant opportunity to not go to church. And I'll tell you who wins when you don't go to church. Your body, your flesh. Because you're a spirit, soul, and body. It's always the body that says... Oh, we ain't going to church this morning, are we? So tired. I think my throat's scratchy. This pillow is so... There's a Gomer Pyle reruns on today. When you cater to the flesh, you're going to end up in a sad place. Get yourself to church. Keep yourself in church. Church days affect the rest of your days. 
Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner or habit of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more. Do you notice that? It's so strong. So much the more as you see the day approaching. And as we begin again, if we're going to head toward better, and these are not just eight things on a list. These are points that we're letting penetrate our heart and mind. We're going to confess our sins, keep short accounts with God, cast your cares, call upon the Lord, proactive and reactive choices. Get wisdom, ask God for it, seek it in his word, get godly counsel, hang out with wise people, companions, bad company, mess you up. Make sure you're hanging out with some people who know where they're going. Contentment is huge. Caris, gratitude in your life. This one's massive. And then get yourself in church. Keep yourself in church. And I lied. I want to give you one more. One more C. Consistency. And if you consistently do these things, as we begin again, you're headed right into better. Amen. Did you get anything at all out of this today? Thank you, Lord.